You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 38. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be talking about creating a high-performing, innovative culture with Joanne Corley-Schwarzkopf. We'll be discussing why previous successes can hold us back, what it really takes to develop your team, the real cost of untrained managers, and creating boundaries to stay in the flow, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan. And today we have a very special guest, Joanne Corley-Schwarzkopf. Joanne is the founder of Manage Global, a business advisory leadership management consulting firm. Over the last few years, she has been recognized as a global influencer, being named to lists such as top 100 most inclusive HR influencers, top 50 global HR influencers, to name a few. She's also been quoted or featured in a variety of media such as NBC News, Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review, among others. She's the author of several books, including her most recent, The Human Quotient, The Most Potent Force for Your Business Success, and Show Me the Money, Solving the Mystery of ROI to Unlock Profits and Increase Company Value. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you, John. It is awesome to be with you. Uh, thank you. You know, I, I know you have extensive you know, experience in industry and working with leaders. How do you, because right now we are certainly facing a whole bunch of uncertainty on a number of fronts. How do you get started in working with leaders to help them you know, face uncertainty and create more certainty for themselves and their teams? Yeah, it's really, it's really three-pronged. First thing is I help them identify what is still certain. And what and and I know that sounds odd. But what is still certain um, uh, is the fact that we're human beings. We have human needs. Relationships matter, and those things don't change. Uh, I was doing an uh, emotional intelligence web- webinar with a client yesterday for uh, leaders, and we were talking about the fact that the leaders who have the the the, the relationships that are not the best will have the hardest time with remote leadership. So relationships, caring, showing that you care, uh, addressing someone's heart and spirit and mind, those things never change, you know? And so uh, those human needs you can be anchored to with your family life and with your colleagues and friends. And so hold on to what matters because our values, what matters most to us, that that doesn't change even with COVID. On the practical side, you know, once that is, you know, taken into account, then it is, okay, now what do I need to keep in mind to stay connected, to keep moving the ball forward? And so with my clients, I provide them a process and a roadmap. In fact, you know, in our EQ session yesterday, it was, I have something called a keep on track map. And literally, if you have a process and you have a checklist and a map, it helps you stay focused because we're all over the place with this integrated lifestyle many of our leaders have because natural boundaries of driving, commuting, being on site, those are natural boundaries, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so now you have to create boundaries at home or in different locations. And so that takes commitment, but also takes a defined process and a plan. And so we work with just basically a roadmap, a roadmap that they can follow, a checklist that they can use. So if you get off course, you get your roadmap and go, okay, now where was I? 
uh, and that's a way to help them in a practical sense as well. I love that. So start with recognizing you're human. We all have needs um, and that it's okay. It kind of sounds like it eases the tension right from the get-go and not having to control everything, but just focus on that. We'll get through this together and to help us get through this together, we're going to create a roadmap so that if we get lost, if we get pulled in a different direction, that we can get back on that course as quickly as we possibly can. Yeah. In fact, um, that roadmap, and one of my clients said the other day, one of the things I love about this roadmap is it keeps me focused. Like I keep having to, like part of the roadmap, we use a, a very simple tool called a bullseye. Like literally it's a bullseye you use for a target. And so it's like, no. So, so when I'm having a conversation with a client, I say, now, is this in the yellow or is this in the red or is this in the blue? She goes, oh yeah, that's really a red. It's not really the yellow. So, you know, once we identify the yellows, that's part of the roadmap, just stay focused, stay on track because there's so many things going on too. So using not only the plan, but also really tactical, practical tools it, uh, is really helpful also. You know, like any journey, there's going to be obstacles and, and things that we don't plan for on that roadmap. And it sounds like the bullseye strategy is going to help you get refocused on that. How does creativity come into play? Because I know you do a lot of work with uh, creative leadership. And how does creativity come into play from a leadership perspective and overcoming those obstacles? Yeah, I, you know, I love that question because creativity is like one of my most favorite themes in the whole wide world. Uh, because creativity... First of all, there's a lot of misunderstandings about it uh, because, you know, most people think that you have to be a certain kind of discipline to be considered creative, but creative thinking is very fundamental to who we are as human beings. Every single person is creative in some way. Our kids are creative at getting us to do stuff we don't want to do. You know, it is, uh, so it's basically just thinking differently. It's bring, being a problem solver. It's, you know, it's on a fundamental level, we are all creative. So what creative thinking does in a disciplined way is help us be flexible and agile in our thinking. So one of my favorite quotes uh, in the creative process from Albert Einstein is, um, uh, it's really difficult to solve problems at the same level of thinking at which we arrived at them, which a lot of leaders do. And so what creative thinking does is it helps us know and understand how our brain can function differently, broader, more dimensionally, so we don't get stuck, we don't feel trapped, we're not trying to so solve new problems with old thinking, and it also helps us be humble, <laughs> collaborative, and it also is an entree into diversity and inclusion. Because one of the elements of being a more creative thinker is being a more diverse thinker. The broader uh, resources that you have to draw from will actually help your ideation and help you come up with more ideas. I say in my, I say in my workshops, many people are taught to think from a puddle instead of thinking from a reservoir. Hmm. So that, in that analogy, the reservoir is, is, is what? How would you describe that? That is our ability to know that we can work with our whole brain. It's, I call it whole brain thinking. Our mm -hmm. conscious mind, our subconscious mind, uh, and also to our right brain and our left brain, and also to take into account that everything in our life, the sum total of our life experience is a reservoir. You know, you can get an idea from something you did as a kid for something that could actually create a solution in your company right now. But would you think of that? Would you think that that was a viable resource? Or let's go out to the park and do some, do some ideation. 
or let's go fly fishing and do some ideation. What does that have to do with chemistry? What does that have to do with uh, the next marketing idea? What, you know, the more, you, the more diverse, let's take a road trip. Let's go to a museum. The, everything we do has an opportunity to spark ideas and to do combining, arranging old things in a new way or sparking, or, or what I call sparking, taking something that is new to us and sparking something that's even newer to us. Okay, here's a great example, John. Toothpaste. I use this example in my workshops. Okay. How many, how many variations of toothpaste and or toothpaste containers have we had over the course of our lifetime? Now, I know you're younger than I am, but <laughs> in our lifetime, how many variations? Oh, I... I tons like i don't know dozens yeah and you yeah. wouldn't think now that now that you put that in into you know the forefront of my consciousness yeah you wouldn't think there would be so many varieties and dispensaries and all those types of things as well yeah right and you know what each of those is a one simple tweak that is a million that is millions of dollars in a revenue stream trust me on this i am sure that there have been many counseling dollars saved because a couple bought a stand-up dispenser versus having to argue over how to roll the tube. Wow. In a toothpaste. Yeah. You know, or mint or, you know, um, mouthwash or the kids or the stripes or the fun. I mean, and it's one tweak from one product. That's amazing. So with that analogy, then you can take, you know, creative thinking on just about anything to improve and, and build a better, better mousetrap. And the way to do that is to get out of the puddle and get into the reservoir, which I think, can we also include that to be the diversity of the group that we're working with? That's is that exactly also part of that? Right. Okay. Yeah. I, on, my, uh, on my blog, I have a inter very interesting, well, I actually wrote it for um, uh, ATSD well, back in the day when it was ATSD, now it's ATD. Um, is uh, innovation and diversity is the power couple because it is it is with um, diversity and see that's the challenge with um, creativity in the workplace or creative thinking in the workplace is um, creativity has to happen when you are accepting something different that's why I added the, the quality of humility because we have to agree that not everything is sourced from me that we see the world as we are not necessarily as it is, and that uh, it, you've got to be able to get comfortable with things that are different. So the challenge with diversity in the workplace is, hey, I want you to be innovative. I want you to be creative, but hey, don't be that different than me, because that makes me feel uncomfortable. So, you know, part of being um, a leader in creative thinking is I'm going to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I'm going to be accepting of diverse thinking, but also how you look, how you wear your hair, how you, you know, all of those things are discomforting to some people. So talking about getting out of your comfort zone, it is volunteering to move yourself out of your comfort zone so that you can get comfortable with different kinds of things, because that's where the really great creative ideas reside. That can spark your experience against someone else's experience. That combining can create something new and beautiful and unique. So forcing ourselves to get into an uncomfortable position, to challenge our own thinking, 
our comfort zone and to create an openness to to difference sounds like that's part of the prerequisites for creating a, a creative culture are there any other you know major blocks I w- i'd imagine you know fear of making mistakes would yeah. be on an individualistic basic another thing that prevents people from trying things that are quote unquote out of the box right that and that and also to unconscious bias it is um a bias toward uh, and this is interesting you know one of my favorite quotes is good is the enemy of great by jim collins but from the book, book good to great and it, 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 you know what's really funny, John? Our previous success can actually be a roadblock to new innovation. You know, not only just our ego, like, okay, um, I've got a risk. This may not work. You know, that's why we talk about testing low-risk ideas. I mean, testing ideas in a low-risk environment. Now, the beauty of ideation is once you test, what do you get? More ideas. You know, so that's, it's an ideation cycle. So, you know, so the roadblock is fear of failure instead of seeing it as a process improvement or ongoing ideation process, it's an all or nothing. It is previous successes that block our ability to take a risk. It is, you know, our ego. Uh, And so it is uh, an unconscious bias towards, here's another thing, very common in corporate America. Well, that didn't work before. Well, that before was a different context, a different era, a different group of people. Now it could, you know, the same thing that was tried before could actually work this time, you know, but sure. again, it's, it is our thinking, our bias, our prejudices, all those things uh, can be roadblocks to creative thinking. And, and you know, what's so funny, you know, that another corporate buzzword of agility, that's what agile thinking is, the ability to bounce around, to be flexible to change on a dime, to go with something new, that's all part of the creative process. Where would you recommend leaders to start to bring these ideas in of, of creating cre- uh, creativity, a culture of creativity, innovation, openness, and, and being okay to the innovative process, as you said? Well, I think one simple thing to do is that in each staff meeting, do a creative exercise. Uh, and I love starting simple. And you know what? What I love about a lot of things you can do, they're free. I mean, like literally, you don't have to bring in a, a, a costly consultant to know that all you have to do is integrate something very simple as creative, buy a book on Amazon or get one in the library. And by the way, there's so much free stuff on the internet or YouTube. Just start introducing creative thinking by doing creative exercises in every staff meeting. So what does that introduce? It, that there's such a ripple effect to just that commitment. I mean, just a five-minute exercise. Imagine doing that consistently over a period of time. You're saying, hey, let's learn to think differently. Hey, let's learn. You're creating a learning, a learning culture, an innovation culture, a um, creative thinking culture, a collaborative culture. We're all in this together. Each person's idea and thinking is valuable. So what does that do? Bind the team, increase morale. You know, it's a really, there's so many cool ripple effects to just doing that one simple event consistently. It it sounds so simple, right? So it's interrupting the pattern, interrupting the status quo, not being afraid to disrupt your own past success 
and and creating a culture because it's not just putting the word creativity on your values list that makes a difference. It's actually embodying it. So I really appreciate that those operational ideas and how to actually bring that in on a simple way to do it on a budget. You know, an, another thing that comes up, I think, for a lot of companies that might be budgetary related, is you know they'll promote someone from uh, from a position of maybe a technician to a position of management. And they get the promotion without necessarily the additional training and support and development to give them the resources they need to to manage and lead others. What? How do you how do you help with that situation? Or is that or are they just going to stuck be stuck and figure it out on their own? Well, you know what? That is uh, so common that it's been common for years. This is like my heartache in our industry, John. Is people being promoted without uh, any help? and the lack of creative career pathing. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had just on that in the past two weeks. Uh, and usually the person that's promoted is someone who has a technical expertise. Uh, and the only way they can make more money or expand their career portfolio is by becoming a manager. Uh, I wrote uh, a piece on LinkedIn a while back, uh, when my 20 year anniversary, the seven things I recommend after 20 years of being in business, and one is don't promote people who don't want to be managers. And uh, and and if they and if they if that is the only career path you have to offer, then you've got to provide training for them. I'm going to expand that development for them, so that they can emerge into an effective manager. And the only way to do that, John, is with conscious intention. To And by the way, not a one and done course, as we say in the industry, learning about a skill does not a skill make, you know, talking about a skill doesn't create a skill. A skill is a behavior. In fact, it's a mastered behavior. How is that developed over a period of time? So when I work with clients, we do developmental cycles. You know, I, I will do a learning event for a person, uh, for a client, which is, we call them a, a one and done, but it's not done. It's just a learning event. But really, what we really want to do is develop people. When someone says, hey, send them to a training, what they're expecting is long-term sustained behavior change. That's not what they're going to get. So true. I'm so glad that you differentiate between training and development because quite often they're lumped in together as if they're the same thing and they're they're absolutely not. And the expectation and the uh, outcome of that training is not the same as long-term cyclical development and continuous. So very, very good. Thank you for doing that. What does it look like? I know you've also written down on, it kind of relates to this topic is when you have your talent, when you have your superstars on lockdown, what, what is that exactly does that mean? Um, it is um, when you have people who are super talented and on any skill level, and you have managers that um, subvert their talent because they're ineffective, where managers get in the way, where you have a bully manager, where you have managers untrained that don't know how to cultivate and leverage a talent. It's like basketball, one of my favorite sports. Um, I had a, a nephew early on who was, who played basketball, not only in high school, well, ever since he was five, you know, he had this emerging AAU career he wanted to do. Uh, and what was interesting is, is when he got to high school, he had a really bad high school coach, but he had a really good AAU coach. And it, honestly, John, it was like looking at two different people play a game. 
And the, the high school coach really just really um, was difficult, did not know how to know how to really place the, the team members in their best positions. And my nephew just did not play as well with that particular coach. And he wasn't, he just wasn't a, a nice guy. He wasn't a, you know, his AAU coach, inspiring, motivating, um, real good training with, you know, the, 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 the triple three, the, you know, the rebounding, the, uh, jump shots, all that, you know, he was, he, he, was, he was just like a superstar in AAU. Now he ended up coming captain of the team in his, uh, in uh, high school. And I, I think that was in spite of his coach, not because of his coach. Um, well, a tweet I had out a couple of weeks ago said, would you hand the keys to a Jaguar to your teenage kid who doesn't know how to drive? That's what happens when you take your talent and turn them over. You spend all this money on recruiting. You finally get in talent and then you hand them over to a manager that has not been trained. John, that's not even logical. That painfully nope. doesn't even make sense. And yet that happens every single day. And then we wonder why senior leaders at C-suite get upset about it. I mean, it's just really mind boggling. This, I mean, obviously there's a, a training development component to solving that issue. Um, is there also a case for decentralization of, of power and authority or, or, or is that too far? No, I mean, I think that uh, if you're going to be effective, particularly when you're talking about locking down talent, you have to know, uh, and, and I think it also, too, uh, is about reframing how we see leadership and management. I was having this conversation uh, yesterday with a client is, you know what, and, and by the way, it happens to be a client who has a lot of technical people who are getting promoted, mm -hmm. okay? And so there's a hang up about, I don't want to be a manager, I don't want to be a leader, what is that? How about we reframe in each context, what it means to be an effective manager leader. In a lot of times, particularly when you have high technicals who are all experts, subject matter experts on a team, it's about facilitation. It's about shared uh, mutual accountability and responsibility. I'm facilitating the result. I'm not your mom and your daddy. I'm not here to lord it over you. We're partners and collaborators and getting the targeted outcomes. That's a little bit of a different way of seeing leadership and management. And so, I, and I see it from a position, and I love that you say uh, decentralization because I see it as power. It's about power and relationships mm -hmm. and how that power is spread out, how that power is utilized in order for a team to function in a healthy way to get the best results. I think that makes a lot of sense because you're also respecting the talent, the wisdom and experience in the room. I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad. I'm just here to help facilitate and that lowers the bar. And it sounds like, are you seeing a shift then in people's willingness to step up and, and take on those leadership roles when you redefine it like that? Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they feel like the pressure's off, you know, yeah. because one of the things of in our minds, being elevated to a new role, and then, then particularly if someone got promoted and you didn't or whatever, is people feel threatened. They, they think, you know, on a very human level, John, people are like, okay, what are you going to do with this power now? You used to be my buddy, my pal, and now you're my manager. Now what? Can I trust you? How will you use that power? You know, you have the power to fire me now, or before you're just my colleague. So there's a lot of fear. There's a maturity that needs to take place. Uh, when someone is promoted, particularly from within, which is ideally what we like a lot of times, but, but with that comes some challenges 
uh, to challenge the maturity of the team members and the manager is what will you be like now that you have power, you know? And how will we work together now? Well, if it's not about being over someone, but I'm walking with you uh, as we facilitate outcomes, that has a little bit of a different feel to it for both parties. And, I, and it feels more collaborative. And here's the word, it feels more safe, less fearful. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it, that it does. And I imagine you're an advocate for having those conversations up front when you shift roles and responsibilities, that you got to set that tone from the beginning because it's probably easier than trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube later on, I suppose, to go back to that analogy. That's exactly true, yeah. And sometimes, unfortunately, I get called in when the damage is already done. And so now mm-hmm. we have to backtrack and we have to do what we call team resets where, or mm-hmm. reboots and sort of redefine what will, and you know, we're setting boundaries, having team values so that we can reset how we're going to treat each other and how we're going to work together and how we're going to collaborate. Uh, and what all that means is how we're going to build trust. You know, Which is the core. Trust yeah. Trust and respect. It's the core of really any relationship, you know, as a, as a leader, decision-making is is an important skill. Developing trust, developing respect, and and facilitating a productive atmosphere and a safe atmosphere, as you said, is important. But so is decision-making and making those hard decisions. What advice do you have for leaders who are struggling in in making those bigger decisions? You know, it's funny. I like literally just had a coaching call before our time together on this very, on this very thing. Um, I have some great, uh, um, uh, YouTube videos on that. The key to effective decision making is knowing what goes into making a decision. And I actually have a, a map, a chart that folks can use. A lot of it, John, is related to how we think. And this is interesting, how we feel. A lot of decisions are driven by a measure, zero, zero to 10, on what we feel about something. And by the way, it's interesting, even people who think they're super logical, even when they're making a decision, um, recent brain studies have shown that the emotional parts of the brain still light up, even when you think you're making a logical decision. So emotions are always involved in decision-making. And so understanding, um, in fact, I, I um, encourage folks to actually create a decision-making journal. You know, no, not, not a real big deal, because sometimes the people are journaling, they're like, oh, I got journals, this is all... It's really just charting down and just kind of tracking what do you, you're making a decision, why you made it, and what was feeling, what were the drivers. So I do keep a decision-making journal because I want to go back and sort of debrief what was going on at the time, who was involved. Uh, that is incredibly helpful because you cannot change what you do not see. You can't change what you're not aware of. So to become a better decision maker, you have to be aware of your decision making, you know, and then, you know, what was I thinking? What am I feeling? And what were the outcomes and the results of that? And then how do I refine that for the next time? Uh, And that's a really practical tip, but it's building awareness about how do I make a decision and what were and what was made and how I could have improved it or done differently. Such a simple idea, yet so important because decisions are everything, right? We're making decisions all the time, most of them from inertia, from what we've done in the past, which you said is that's one of our bigger threats that, that we have. So is there a threshold in, in when you write that decision into the decision journal about like how big it has to be? I can see the big ones for sure, but maybe the little ones should be in there too. They should. 
And uh, the tool that my clients use is, is really just a, a map, it's a decision-making map. And they use that map on a regular basis to try to chart out other decisions. They can see, oh, you know, here I was like feeling super angry or very popular one. Here I was feeling really guilty. Uh, I have, uh, when, particularly when it comes to whether to keep, keep an employee or not, uh, I have a, an acronym. It's not originally from me. It's from a great book called Emotional Blackmail, but it's called FOG, Fear, Obligation, and Guilt. And a lot of decisions are made from FOG. And uh, so a lot of it is helping clients, particularly at the time of COVID and, and what to do with your employees and what to do with your business. So, uh, and learning how to, to work through the FOG so that they can make a clear decision and feel really good about a decision, even though it's a hard decision. You know, the, the idea of fog kind of connects me back to something you mentioned earlier about the natural boundaries that we used to have prior to remote work. And for some companies that hasn't changed, but for those of us that have gone remote and haven't been remote before, we don't have those natural boundaries between work life and, and home life. And I imagine fog could actually come into that as well. The fear, obligations, and guilts that are driving, do I work later? Do I not? How do I blend that? What advice do you have for those that are um, you know, relatively new to the remote work lifestyle in terms of setting that boundary and, and maintaining their wellness in a work-life integration like you mentioned? Yeah, and by the way, I love the integration because that's actually what it really comes, comes down to. Uh, and it is really all about boundaries. I by the way, I love I love the word. That's not even my word. It's Dr. Henry Cloud, who I totally adore. He's got a great series of book on boundaries, but it is um, setting physical boundaries, time boundaries, and emotional boundaries. So, uh, for example, something as simple as you know, it, doing uh, if uh, my husband was home today, there would be boundaries around. Okay, honey, I'm not available between three and four because I've got you know a podcast or you know, I'm doing client work between nine and 12, let's stop for lunch. And then, and so we literally chart out a schedule uh, so that we can know, we can be clear uh, and clear and in agreement on what to expect from each other because boundaries are expectations and they need to be negotiated based on what the needs are of a family with children and homeschooling and that. So the key is to talk frankly and openly, here's what I need, what do you need, what do the kids need, and then how do I chart that in the calendar, A, calendar is our best friend, and then how do I chart, the, how do I map that out with spaces in the house, like even a room or a corner of the living room, or so, you know, boundaries are a lot of different places, emotionally, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. I like that. So the boundary, and I love the the calendar is such a great way to kind of show understanding and agreement. Like we all agree, this is what's happening here. And and if your needs are not being met, now speak now, or we'll suffer the consequences a little bit later. And imagine it would reduce stress, which mm -hmm. is obviously another thing that, that impacts our overall productivity. You know, in addition to setting boundaries on time and location, like you mentioned, and, and the physical boundaries that we can set up in our world to demark when we're at work and when we're at we're at home. What other uh, ideas or strategies do you do you often kind of turn to to help people reduce the overwhelm and stress to to manage their wellness? Uh, part of that is um, learning to detach, and 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 there's a difference between and really understanding the distinction between detachment and a break or detachment. 
some people, some people, my husband and I were just having this conversation the other day because uh, he's got a very, you know, we both own our own businesses and he travels and he's working on, he's a construction person and he's building buildings. And we were talking about you, you may be home, but you're still, you're still in South Georgia right now. <laughs> you're not detached. You're physically detached, but you're not mentally and emotionally detached. And there is an important need of health to learn how to detach. Now, and to know what your go-to detachment is, okay? If it's binging on Netflix, if it's going out in the woods, if it's, everybody's gotta have the thing that is right for them. And what's really important for spouse, for, uh, for those, for kids and for partners at home is respect the, your spouse's technique. It may not be yours. Now, my husband's detachment is golf with his favorite buddy. I'm all over him going golfing with his favorite buddy, you know, because that is really, I see that as, honestly, John, as an issue of health for him, you know, because he needs, because he can be detached when he's on the golf course. So, because he's redirecting his focus on something different. So it's going to be different for everybody. We need to honor what is unique for the people that we love. And, you know, for example, I have a um, stepson who's in the Navy. Uh, he works in Navy intelligence and he's an introvert. So, you know, he's been practicing for, uh, you know, social distancing his whole life, you know, and he's loving it. Uh, however, he does a lot. He's, he's responsible for 200 sailors and he needs to practice detachment. And so for him, it really is going to his workshop downstairs. That's his form of detachment, you know. So everybody's going to have their unique thing. And please don't judge someone else's thing. Let them have it, know it's theirs, respect it, and let them have it. But detachment is key. So, you know, it's interesting to, to connect the detachment and make sure I'm getting the, the sense of what you're communicating. You know, I get it in that context because you have to learn how to leave work at work. If he's still or, or you're still in South Georgia and, and, and you're not here at home, then you're not really here at home and we're not having that time to to invest in, in that relationship and same thing with, with your nephew he's got to find that internal time to, to get that it's not like you're detaching from your emotions here's what i call that i call that gathering back your emotions okay like regrouping uh because if you can't if you can't detach your emotion is still attached over here so when you detach you are regathering recentering, recapturing, taking all the pieces of yourself that you've put out in the day to your spouse, your kids, your colleagues, your clients, you know, those you're serving in your, your community, your church, there are times you have to gather all yourself back for restoration, for, you know, for restoring, for peace, for you've got to gather that back or that if you don't do that consistently, you will be burnout. Okay, thank you. I think that helps to clarify it because then, and I thought there was a connection there. And I think what you're telling me is that you're you're gathering back your emotions because you're going to use them in your work for creativity, for decision making, and and if you don't give yourself that break, then you're going to be deflated and burned out, and then your decision making and your productivity and your ability to connect and create trust also goes down in, in response to that too. Right, and so you might want to even frame it as detachment is recollecting yourself. You know, collecting yourself from all the places you've put yourself out to, gathering yourself back together, recollecting all of you to go, okay, 
I'm all back here. I'm all together now. And I'm now getting restored, recollect so that you can get restored, rebooted, so that you can then dis- then disperse yourself again as you're doing the activities of your day. It, it all comes together. So um, rest and activity, yin, yang, left brain, right brain, spiritual, mental, emotional, work, life, balance, integration. Uh, fantastic. I, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, last question is, how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about uh, work with you and, of course, your work? Sure. They can just The first place to go is really just to my website, joannecorley.com, Joanne with no E, or Manage Global Solutions. I'm also on YouTube. And um, I have a podcast on iTunes called Spark Management. I'm also a LinkedIn learning author. And so a couple of my LinkedIn courses are on LinkedIn as well. You can find me there under Join Corley Schwarzkopf. So I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter too. So uh, you can it just if you Google me, you'll be able to find me as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'll put all that in the show notes. And again, Joanne, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, John. It was a, it was a pleasure and a joy. Excellent. And for all of you listening, thanks so much for being here and listening and watching. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. And if you'd like to connect with me and other like-minded leaders, I invite you to join our Facebook group called Develop, Empower, and Lead, where I deliver free live training every week. If you go to developempowerlead.com, it will redirect you right there. Hope to see you there soon.